Welcome back to the Doss and D Show. This one was a very special episode as we actually got to host our first person interview in the Doss and D headquarters for the first time in over four months, which was absolutely amazing. Our guest this week is John Toomey. John is the founder of Wide Awake Wellness, a world leader in workplace wellness. John is Australia's number one educator and speaker on mental wellness and is one of Australia's most sought-after speakers in men's health and men's mental health. Not only that, but John has been teaching a course in human consciousness worldwide for over 15 years. JT, as I like to call him, actually took me across to Orlando, Florida to complete one of these 10-day courses and it was truly one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was an honor to sit down with John and hear his wisdom on life. He shared some incredible stories and insights around so many things, including making decisions in life for you, not to make others happy, the unnecessary pressure put on our young people to know what they want to do and how to confront that. John also shares with us his opinion on university and why so many people shouldn't be studying if they don't know what they want to do. We go deep into loving yourself for who you are and the issue around perfectionism, especially in today's online world. And the beautiful one, which is the superpower of kindness, how to practice it and what we should be doing to practice it more. The list could go on, guys, but we want you to hear it for yourselves because this chat was just mind-blowing and incredibly empowering. And please remember to go leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a really long way in wanting to help and impact more and more people. So without further ado, enjoy this chat with the one and only John Toomey. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. Well, it's a nice feeling, Dee. We've got a guest in the house. I'm so excited, mate. We've had a. This is exactly why we came here for those coffee meetings and those chats. And, and uh, we're finally here. We've got my good friend John Toomey. Welcome to the show, mate. Hey, good to be here. It's awesome to, to have you here. on, mate. Yeah. Um, I've known John for a long time. For those listening, JT was a good friend of my dad's through the events industry and um, keynote speaker, author. Got a new book out as well, which is exciting. New book, yeah. Tell me, tell us a bit about that first. Oh, start. I just a couple of years ago, I was talking to my really good mate John Anier. Some of your listeners might know who John is. He came across from Claremont in WA and played for Collingwood. And then he went across to Richmond. And at the end of the 86 season, he went back to Perth to join West Coast Eagles. And he was their inaugural vice-captain. And J.A. is a physiotherapist and a brilliant bloke and has a reputation of being one of the fittest men that ever played footy. Like, they played a game when he was at West Coast at Geelong one week. And he played really badly and they got done. And so when they got back to Perth, he pulled his runners and his shorts out of his bag and said to the guys, drop my bag at home, will you? And he ran home to Claremont from Perth Airport. You know, How far is that? A very long way. <laughs> very long way. And uh, so anyway, but JA was um, treating you know, quite a, an influential person who owns mining companies. And he was telling Johnny about his concern out on the mines for the amount of mental illness and the suicides. And he was a bit at his wit's end as to what to do about it. And... J.A. rang me and we talked about it. When I got off the phone, I thought, I could write a book about that. And uh, so that was the start point. So the book now, it's called uh, In It for the Long Haul. And the subtitle is Making the Most of the FIFO Lifestyle. F-I-F-O, Fly In, Fly Out. Okay. And uh, we're just in the uh, pre-marketing stage now. What does so. Fly In, Fly Out mean? 
Well, so they fly in to the Mines. mine site. Gotcha. And they stay in a camp. Yeah. And they might be there for two weeks, sometimes yep. three weeks. And then they'll go home for a period, could be a week, could be 10 days, whatever. But it's not just mining, it's oil and gas. A lot of the workers who do, do five-hour construction workers. Yeah. Um, and then there's geologists and all those sorts of people and a lot of them are unskilled people and they but the pay packets are really big and uh, you know 150 160 grand a year and you know from 19 year old kid who's come out of school and doesn't know what he wants to do that's pretty good but Mm. there's lots of pitfalls and a lot of them get themselves into pretty severe financial trouble because they have got no intelligence around how to handle money Mm. Yes, yeah, so there's lots of lots of things to deal with in the book, and hopefully, the aim of the book is to provide some education and some perhaps hopefully some structure, so that these uh, young people can sort of make a fist of it and, and make it a really rewarding part of their life, rather than something that they're doing because they don't really know what else to do, or doing because it's really good money, or you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. We we were talking off air about kind of the rule book of life, which we love to talk about each and every week, and. I'm really fascinated to hear the perspective of some of these young people because giving up happiness to chase money because they, that's what we're told to do mm-hmm. and there's a great pay packet there and it can set you up and you, you touched on the fact that they fall into financial trouble anyway. But what in your experience, what is some of the mental illness that comes from these people giving up their happiness to chase this, this dream or this job or this lifestyle? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think that... You know, apart from a small percentage of cases, most mental illness starts out with just screwed up thinking. You know, bad decisions, viewpoints that are maybe not accurate. You know, for example, I, I got a really good mate. He was a career physical education teacher. I think he taught at Rosebud Secondary College for 35 years. And he's retired now. And he's tough. And he was harsh on the kids. And the kids always thought he was a brute and he didn't care, you know. Mm. But you sit and talk with him about those kids and he'd almost be crying telling you about the kids and how wow. much he loved them. And, and he was only tough on them because he wanted them to, to live great lives, you know, because he knew how close it was down on the peninsula where they could, they could go off the rails really quickly. Yeah. So the kid's viewpoint was that he was an asshole and he didn't care. But in actual fact, his the fierceness of his love for those kids was palpable, you know. Mm. So I think that, you know, there's people get caught up and young people, old people get caught up. They get an idea in their head about something and it may not be accurate. Mm. But then they start building their reality from that idea and then they can end up anywhere. Mm. And I think that there's a number of things that, that impact on that. Back when I was a kid, we had no internet, we had no computers. The only information we had was the TV set mm. and there was no talkback shows or interview shows, it was all just TV shows. And we'd have friends to talk to. So we're always sharing our perspectives and you know getting different viewpoints all the time. Whereas kids can now get on the internet and there's an old saying that, um, you know, I think Harry Palmer um, said it, you know, if you believe something, you're going to keep finding evidence for it. That's such an interesting quote. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and that's what happens now because Google's got all the answers. Wow. And, and if you if you really believe something, you're gonna if you believe that you're a bad person, you get on there and you're gonna keep finding evidence for it. You know, and it's like 
Ah, so powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm. And and so more than ever, you know, I think the reason we've got so much mental illness is because we spend too much time in our minds. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And that's a, that's a great challenge. Spending so much time in our minds, I'm guilty of that. I um, oh, say. And it's something that I've, well, I've worked with John on it in the past and, mm. you know, currently I feel like I'm in a really, really good place. But... With a lot of my mates, for example, going back to kind of what Daniel said about doing what other people say, I'm intrigued because you mentioned briefly before we clicked record, it's not what other people are saying, there's something else. Would you mm-hmm. be able to kind of yeah. explain what you were talking about there? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I tried to, I went to school at Marsland College and and that school saved my life. It really did. I'd, I'd done three years at a Christian Brothers Tech School in Abbotsford, and that was just pure violence. And the right. Christian Brothers were pretty brutal. And I'd grown up in a pub in Collingwood, so I didn't have a lot of refinement about me, you know. And I went out to Marsland. It was a middle-class grammar school, and it was a totally different culture. They weren't violent. There was no, you know, there was no strapping kids or any of that sort of thing. And and I actually got to be able to discover myself. A little bit more but I was also intimidated by the other kids and so there was a lot in that for me but when I go back and I talk to the kids at the school I get to be able to say the things that the teachers can't say yeah and so I go back and I talk to the year 10 year 11 boys about you know mental health things and that sort of stuff and I talk to them a lot about having guardianship for each other and having care for each other and one of the things I do say is that in your life, if you haven't figured out yet what you want to do with your life, why would you go to university? Yeah. Why would you rack up a hex debt for something that you don't want to do? That's as close to crazy as I can think of, you know. You're better off going and working in a cafe or go work out picking fruit or do something and spend some time contemplating until something lights up your life and then go after that you know and I think that's why FIFO could be really good for a lot of those young people as well but if you just go off to university because you think your parents want to and also say to them you think that that's what your parents think but you haven't actually sat down with them and asked them and challenged them on the perspective because when they went to uni there was no head state like yeah. I, I went through my phys ed degree and my master's program no hex debt. Paid for yourself. Paid for, no, the government paid for it. It was all free. It didn't cost a cent. I went on a ski camp when I was at Rusden for a week to Mount Buller. So a whole week, all accommodation, all tow tickets, all your rental of equipment, all your food, and a two-hour lesson every day, and it was $70. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> what year was that, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, that year, that would have been 1978. Okay, mm. yeah. Yeah. Wow. But so it was free for us back then, so it didn't really matter. But mm. now, when you're creating these hex debt, it's like, like there's a lot of things here, but but it's about making your own decisions. You've got to be able to make your own decisions. And if you're making decisions because of what you think somebody else thinks, well, that's not your decision. Yeah. You're just trying to make a choice that'll... You know, keep your head down and make a choice that everyone will be happy with. Yeah. Mm. And you know, um, and the really interesting thing is, you see online all the time people posting profound quotes. You know, instead of following the path, go where there is no path and leave a path. 
Well, most people never do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's what that is. That's mm. that decision point where you go against what is expected and, and you make your own decision. I would love to ask you, John, because that spoke to me a lot. That's how I felt. I remember I worked in the family business, which I told you about off air. Mm-hmm. And it was like the best thing about it was no one, everyone would kind of leave you alone because you got a job. And then when I went to uni, I was saying for years, I'll go to uni, I'll go to uni, I'll work out what I wanted to do, which I never figured out. But eventually I went to uni for the sake of going to uni. And again, back off family, back off everybody. I'm at uni, I'm studying. Mm-hmm. But how do we actually have those conversations with those people that in our lives, it could be your parents, your grandparents, your husband, your wife, about following a path that is not the norm? How do we actually begin those conversations that you mentioned a little bit earlier? It's, an, it's a really interesting one. And I think that, and I don't want this to be a thing where everyone writes down what John Toomey says and then <laughs> just repeat that, you yeah. know, because that might not be suitable. And um, and why would I be some sort of guru on, on that sort of thing? But the question I suppose I would ask of myself in that situation is, am I a trustworthy person? Or are people worried about me because they don't trust that I'll make good decisions? Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a father, <clears throat> and when my son was going through school, School just didn't suit him. Yeah. But he was very talented musically. So he would go through school. I don't think he ever did a minute's homework. And I wasn't going to blow with him about it because he just wasn't interested. But he would practice his music a lot. And so he went through school and got the music award every year but failed everything all the way through. Mm. And he came out the other end. And um, when he finished school, I just said, what do you want to do now? And he goes... No doubt I'm going to get a job and figure it out. Yeah. And he just progressed forward and he kept finding his way and he ended up working in sales in a Sony store. Okay. Which is where he discovered the Sony Alpha cameras and he saved up and bought one and fell in love with photography and because he's such an artistic person he had a really good eye for it. And now he's the the most sought after architectural photographer in this state. Wow. And he's got ten staff and he's got and he's got a very successful business and every day he gets up and thinks to himself, How can we do it better? Yeah. Mm. He's never done a course and never once have I ridden him. And he used to come to me sometimes and say, Dad, I'm thinking of buying you a car. What do you think? Should I lease it? Should I and I would say to him, mate, I'm a jock. I'm good with human bodies. Business is not really my thing. Go and talk to your grandma. Because his grandmother was really good in that area. And he'd go and talk to his grandma and she would support him. And, he, and he's learned along the way in his life how to do it. Yeah. And make good decisions. The only thing I ever did for him in that respect was to build him a really smart Excel cash flow budget, show him how to use it so he could manage his income and his expenditure. Mm. And he used to be, I used to catch him sitting at his computer every day, looking at that budget, messing with it, seeing what I could do here, trim there, trim there. So that was a good skill, but but I always knew that I could trust him. Yeah. So I didn't need to worry about him. And so if you're a young guy who's 25, and your parents are getting on your case and they want you to do something, well, the first question you've got to ask yourself is, 
do my parents trust me to make good decisions yeah. or have I demonstrated that I'm not very good at doing smart stuff, yeah. you know? Do I go out and get blind? Do I pop drugs? Do I drink, drive when I shouldn't be driving? You know, am I being responsible? Yeah. And if I'm not, well, then I've got some work to do to lift my own game to get into a place where my parents will get off my case because they know that I'm all right. Because mm. they just love you. Yeah. And they just want you to have a good life. You yeah. Know? So that's the first place I'd go. You've got to look in your own universe first. Mm. And if you're not sure, Ask your mum and dad, what's your fear? Tell me honestly, mum and dad, what's your fear? What are you worried about? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking back to me, like even just recently, like starting my, you know, co- like small coaching business and I've got a few clients now. I remember telling mum and, and I'm dropping my days from a part-time job slowly. I've dropped from my five days now to three days because mm-hmm. my income is now supplementing slowly. And I thought, I remember first telling mum, and mum will be listening to this, so... But I was really worried about what she was going to say because I was like, oh, shit. you know, it's it's not the stable week by week knowing that the income is going to be like like I would at the nursery. I know that paycheck is coming in every Monday. It's the same amount. And hopefully this, this is going to continue to be similar. But mum was so happy for me. Mm-hmm. But it was because I actually challenged her and said, mum, this is what I want to do. She went, mate, if that's what makes you happy, mm-hmm. go for it. Almost like what you said, having the belief that my mum will trust me and she trusts me Mm -hmm. and she knows that I'd be good in this you know but so many of us yeah you're right like we we, and we've got it written down but um, having that courage to be happy which Mm. I'm very interested to hear what your thoughts around that are as well courage to be happy yeah golly we we could go down a very deep path there perfect but I, I think that for me I think being happy is about liking yourself Mm. and and I know for myself for a long time in my life I used to convince everybody I was happy but I, I wasn't happy my mind was going 15 to the dozen all the time because I wasn't um, being honest with myself and when you can't be honest with yourself you can't be honest with anybody else so your life you're living your life with your wheels constantly spinning you know putting on a good show for everybody and that's an agonising place to live. And, and a lot of people, to get relief from that, they'll do drugs or alcohol yeah. or something, whereas I was lucky I always trained. So I didn't go down those paths. But I think, you know, I had some good people around me, and you know that some of those people around me in those years of teaching avatar courses and those mm. sorts of things where there's people around you who, who don't judge you, you know, they, they're not putting a right or wrong anything... They just want you to land in a place where you like who you are. And you've got to look in the mirror and go, well, do I really like who I am? You know, part of it in, in the way that we do it in our society, you know, if somebody does the wrong thing, you know, we convict them for it yeah. and, you know, they do their punishment, whatever, and then it's a record they carry it around for the rest of their lives. Most Indigenous cultures don't do that. Do you know, in, in Australian Aboriginal law, if you do the wrong thing, you get punished. It might be a spear through the leg, and then it's done. Yeah, it's gone. It's not there anymore. The Lakota Sioux Indians in America had a beautiful saying. They would say, "You are who you are. You are not what you've done." Yeah. 
yeah? So really, for anybody who's out there who's got those concerns, if you're not happy, first ask, do I like who I am? And here's the really cool part about that is that if you don't like who you are, you've got to remember that you're not liking who you're being at the moment. Mm. That's different from who you are. And the, the step then is to find some support to actually start to become who you really are. So you can live your life more from your heart than from your head. And if your mind's running all the time, it's because you're, you're either second-guessing yourself or you've got fears or you're trying to justify some of the decisions you made or the things you've done. You know, that was my mind, you know, just justifying all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know? Yeah. We're guilty of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, everybody is. But, but then I got to a point with all that support and also with, with all that support where I finally landed and I realise I'm really happy and the thing I noticed straight after that is my mind is really quiet Right. and I live my life with a really quiet mind now that's not because I'm special or anything like that but I did the work and I got awesome tools which I took you to you do an avatar course to get the tools to actually learn how to navigate your way out of your mind <laughs> Okay. Mm. <laughs> you know, I remember students, a student saying to me on a course once, it was one of the best things I ever heard. He looked at me and he said, you know, he said, my mind is a dangerous neighbourhood and I should not go in there alone. Mm. You wow. know? Yeah. Well, uh, I was saying to Dee last night, I, one thing that struck out to me massively, and it just correlates exactly being happy with who you are, mm-hmm. is I was explaining to him the course I went and did with you and... One of the exercises and just the constant repeating to myself, I'm happy to be me, I'm happy to be me. And I still, I'll never forget the, like, the feeling I had. I remember at one point, I actually, the breakthrough I had, it was, I was saying to Dee, it was, I felt like I was constantly trying to be my dad. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in tears going through this exercise with, I can't remember who his name was, but yeah, being happy with myself. Yep. Yeah. And yep. I'll still, I'll never forget that. Yeah. You know, that was the breakthrough I had. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean it. No, 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 it's yeah. great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you are who you are. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of the journey of life, I think, is discovering who you are. Mm. And what is your gift that you're going to bring to the world? So your dad was a magnificent human being, you know, one of the best. Huge heart, deeply kind, and very honest. And... But like everybody, he had his battles with his weight. He loved his sweet food and all that sort of stuff. Loved his but chips. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right? But, but he wasn't, it's never about being perfect. Mm. And that's one of the challenges of a lot of the young girls, you know, that they're trying to be perfect because mm. there's this thing. And, and I'll say to you right now, as a bit of a digression, the young guys out there, got to help the girls with that. Mm. Got to talk to them. But don't go toe-to-toe, sit next to them, side-by-side. And say, who are you? You know, who do you think you need to be? Because do you understand how cool you are already, you know? Yeah. And, like, start... The, the young guys are going to help the girls with that stuff because they're getting lost in it. Mm. And it's really unfair. And it's, and it's other women who are painting that path, I think, 100%. of the fashion industry yeah. and that sort of 100%. thing. It's all in the name of commerce, but it, it doesn't have to be that way, you know? So, mm. 
Yeah. I, I like how you're simplifying it because I know the conversations that Doss and I have together and with a lot of our mates that are in the same space, we're surrounded in this noisy world of social media and constantly told where we should be at. And in our own heads each day, like we are so hard on ourselves, even with this podcast, just every single night we come home and we just, what can we do better? How can we improve? And that's like you're saying, sometimes when I'm at work and I'm alone with my thoughts, all I'm thinking about is improving the podcast or improving other areas of my life. But you're saying here, when you get that clear mind and that clarity, and and to me, it sounds like not only do other people trust you, but now you trust yourself. It's almost an exchange for happiness. And to me, that sounds more important than this, this constant fight to level up and be better and improve. And I'm just interested to hear your... Well, it's competitive, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, the question I would ask you is where do you think those thoughts are coming from? What's the what's the flavour of those thoughts that you have about why I've got to improve the podcast? I mean, what what is that? Do I think know? it's just this constant... And I don't know how you feel, Doss, but it's a constant drive. We have our goals, we have our ambitions, and we've come such a long way from where we started. And we always have to say to ourselves, okay, let's look at where we've come from and be happy and be be great. Proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, proud. But we are so passionate about what we do. We love mm-hmm. this. We don't do this. We're not sitting here now taking a day off our work because we want to be stars or we want to talk to... So we genuinely love this. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from passion and drive, but I could be wrong. I get that. But we're still, what is the what are the doubts that you have that are causing you to question yourself that way? Well, maybe it comes from feedback we get or maybe it's it's statistics maybe we've in our head we've got to get to this certain place and maybe we're not hitting it just yet Mm -hmm. we might be close or maybe it's in what we do we don't we hear when the microphone sounds crappy we hear the feedback when our social media when we make a spelling mistake on social media but very rarely do you actually get a message saying that's a great podcast unless you unless we go out and talk to people then people start giving us great reviews and so, yeah, I'm not sure. It's an, maybe I have to think about See, it a bit more deeply. I, yeah, because I wonder about Joe Rogan. Yeah. Mm. And, and you ask yourself, why is Joe Rogan so successful? And my take on it is that he's just, he's just himself. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't try to be anything. Yeah. And he's vitally interested in people. And yes. he's happy to give his opinion, but he never dominates them or anything like yeah. that. And he doesn't need to show off. He doesn't need to tell yeah. the world what he knows, you know. Yeah. And I love that. So I can listen to him for three hours without it's a great without podcast. It. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's like my sense is that for you guys, it's like how can you be more of who you are mm-hmm. and then from that place bring a gift to people that they can't get anywhere else mm-hmm. because you guys are here, you're not somewhere else, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think that that's the challenge for all of us it's like how do we become more of who we are and the things that drag us away from that they're many and varied but i learned a great word from one of my colleagues in in avatar course because he used to use it a lot he used to say when you do that you degrade yourself Mm. and see a lot of the young people out there they're spending a lot of time degrading themselves you know and the things that lead you down that is cheap alcohol drugs breaking agreements with yourself yeah Mm. like that's a big one you know forget about breaking agreements with others when you break agreements with yourself uh, like for example you might decide right I'm not going to drink alcohol for a month or when I go out I'm going to have two beers and that's it 
But when you break that agreement, you degrade yourself. And you lose trust. You lose trust. Absolutely, you're on it. Yeah. So don't make the agreement if you can't keep it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I really look at that. And, and there's times in my life where I'll do something I can't. I just degraded myself then, mm. you know, and you own it, and you feel what it feels like, and then you go right, okay. Back so you on catch the, yourself out. When back on the bike. Yeah. Let's let's get moving, and probably the greatest way to to improve that, and and I say this when I'm out on the construction sites and I'm out in the mines, when you do certain things in your life, you like who you are because you do it and it raises your energy level and raises your vibration. And in my fatigue prevention seminars, the very last tip that I give people, I say to them, I'm going to give you a tip now, something that you can do on a daily basis, many, many times a day, and it's going to raise your energy levels, you're going to feel brighter, you're going to feel more alive, and you'll feel more alert, and you'll feel happier. And that is your greatest defense against fatigue of all. And that skill is just be kind. Mm. Whenever you get a chance, just be kind. And we forget the simplicity of that. Mm. And I feel like if you've got people listening to this show who have been degrading themselves and, you know, who don't like who they are, start doing things that leave you liking who you are. Go and find a soup kitchen one night a week. Mm. Go and help out, make a huge pot of soup, take it along. Every Monday I make uh, 40 sandwiches and we take them along to a soup kitchen so that the people who go to the soup kitchen can um, pick up some sandwiches to take for lunch the next day, mm. you know. And that's just a nice little thing to do. It only takes an hour, you know. Yeah. But my cousin, who's a brilliant bloke, has been doing that for his entire life. Two nights a week, soup kitchen. And I never knew. He doesn't tell anybody, you know. He just does it, right? And I I think that's the other little catch, too. That, Mm. Like I just told you guys what I do there, but but if you do those sorts of things, then you feel like you have to tell everybody. Well, then you're not doing it for the right reason. You're doing it to as a mar- part of your marketing plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we talk about this. Yeah. Because <laughs> tell John, I know you don't like. Tell him what you did that day. Oh no 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 no, no. <laughs> no! But because you didn't tell anyone about it, you told me, and that was it. Oh, and it's it's not it's nothing that big. It's but not I think it. what we talked what we've spoken about before too is that we see a lot of people in similar industries that we're in. In, in social media or podcasting or anything like this, around Christmas time, they put on a Santa hat, they spend a lot of money and they make sure they film everybody's reaction as they give out presents to, to the homeless. Now, there's nothing wrong with that and I understand that there's a good message, but sometimes it's obvious that there's an underlining, look at me, look what I'm doing, not what the It's method. another way of getting attention. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So I think I just... Well, well one day he was went through Woolworths and he was walking through and he saw a homeless bike out the front and he came home and told me this and he just went, oh, I'll just go and buy a bunch of groceries. So Dee went and bought a bunch of all of this stuff. Actually, no, he went and asked him what he wanted and then he went and bought a bunch of stuff. He, I think he wanted some type of microwavable meal and then Dee actually even took it to 7-Eleven and headed it up and t- took him all this food. And yeah. he came home and told me and I'm like, and he never told anyone else. No, that's right. We had that chat. The, like, I think the main know, thing is that... I sat like what 
the, what I was telling Dos was that I sat with him for a few minutes, which actually meant more to him than yeah. buying yeah. the stuff or flipping him. It was just we sat and talked, and it wasn't wasn't anything deep or meaningful. We just chatted a little bit about who he is and. But how did that make you feel? Yeah, for, oh, that's a thing, and that, and it puts you on a high, and then you just oh, well, even the other day we went through the supermarket and somebody put paid us forward, put twenty dollars towards our groceries, and we were embarrassed, like we didn't know what to do, <laughs> yeah. like so now we paid forward, and you're you're spot on, like mm. and I think mm. sometimes if we just simplify life, I mean we we're avid readers, we read all the time, and a lot of these books are really great books, and some of them hundred years old, like the one you're reading at the moment, they're just very simple. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's living. It's living a virtuous life. And see, that was one of your dad's great things. Mm. You know, virtues, there's so many of them. And, and I've learned a lot about them over the years. And um, you even learn from your dad, you know, and learning from yogis and learning from Harry Palmer's talks and, you know, things like kindness and compassion and forgiveness and service to others and a genuine acknowledgement of people you know mm. to just walk up to somebody who's doing a real a job that you would never want to do mm. and just to say to them man you do this job well and thank yeah. you for doing it because i know i wouldn't have it in me to do this job so thank you for doing it and acknowledge people yeah but do it from a very real place and you know i was running one morning really early and um I was running along uh, from Elwood around past St Kilda Beach, past St Kilda Pier at the back of Katani Gardens there, and the wind was coming in from the north, and Tommy Hafey was coming the other way, and Tommy said, oh, it's a bit ripe round there, big fella, you know, and I didn't get what he meant, and I ran round the corner, and the wind hit me, and I vomited immediately. The stench was oh. something like... Holy hell, and I haven't got the strongest stomach in the world. And I had to go <laughs> right across the other side of Beaconsfield Parade and run down the other side to avoid because there was guys there with a the truck pumping out a sewer. Ah, oh, okay. Right? And as I was running, I'm thinking, how special are those people that do that job? They have to put up with that sort of, oh my God, it's not describable, the smell. And they've put up with it on a daily basis. Because if they don't do it, nobody will do it. Mm. So I wrote an article about it the other day, and it's like, wow. Like, they're angels, those people. Because they do the jobs that none of us want to do. It's not a great perspective. Yeah, and it's so we, we lose that. Instead of getting frustrated with the person who's on the checkout, wherever it is, acknowledge them, get interested in them. Say hello to them, find out who they are, what they do, and talk to them. Mm. It's a great message, Mm. especially in a very fast-paced world. To me, it's a lot of just slow down, acknowledge, feel, listen. I've had some um, amazing experiences where I've been into a shop, and I've walked around this shop and I thought, what a great shop. What a great shop. You know? <laughs> like, probably my favourite is, and if you've never been there, it's a place over in, uh, in High Street in Westgarth, just up from the Westgarth Cinema, called Terra Madre. It's like a Whole Foods supermarket, and it's a rabbit warren. And you get everything you want there that's organic, biodynamic, everything, like everything. And it's cheaper than supermarket. 
Really? It's an extraordinary place. They've Good got plug like for a, them. <laughs> they've got like twenty cashiers that are running fifteen to the dozen all day every day. Like it's busy as and apparently they've opened a new one. And uh, when I first went there I walked out of there and I was shaking my head and I just couldn't get over it all the way home and I thought, it's amazing. So I went and found their website, went to the contact section, found a thing, and I wrote them a note. And it ended up being quite a long note and and I said, I've just been to your shop. And I couldn't believe it. And I talked about all the things about it that I loved and how incredible it was. And then I said, I started to contemplate how when you opened that shop, the real estate that you were renting, it would have been frightening to sign that lease. Because back in those days, you would have had to have put a personal guarantee down. And if your business failed, you probably would have lost everything. And I mm. said, imagine you had many sleepless nights for the first year or two and a lot of fear and and you probably worked harder than most people have ever worked. And, and I just talked about what I was thinking and I just said, and here you are now, what a profound service you offer to the community and obviously it's very loved and you're busy. And, and uh, anyway, so I signed off. And about three days later, I got this email, and I, I thought, what was that? And I'd forgotten, right? And it was a reply from the owner. And it was a long email, a detailed story of what they went through. I can't remember whether it was a male or female. And I cried as I read that. What a story. Wow. What a story. I thought, wow. I was just acknowledging them and they've just lifted my life with that story. Mm. So there's so much to be said for getting our attention off ourselves and Mm. our self-importance and how bad our life is, you know? Yeah. 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 And how terrible it is and and look at what we can Mm. add to other people's lives. You know? It's like, that's what your dad did. He spent his life trying to make the world better for other people simple as that simple as that and I I shared something with you earlier but Mm. the reason your dad could say to me what he did that day is because he spent his life he lived a virtuous life Mm. and for me I I think that the more virtuous you make your life the easier it will be for you to be courageous when you need to be courageous it's amazing it is (laughs) don't know where to go from there because I'm yeah Gosh, yeah. Well, yeah, what you shared with me earlier, that amazed me. And I won't share that, obviously, but you say the word courage. What is it? What is courage? Oh, like, I know it's a really broad and, and like, very short question, but sometimes I think I don't even know what courage is mm. because mm. <laughs> let's talk footy terms. Yeah. I love footy and a lot of us love sport and courage to a lot of us is an act of bravery on, on a field or... Mm-hmm you know, doing something for someone else in a moment of chaos and panic or helping a woman out of a car in a car crash or something courageous. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the only courageous things we can do. Oh, does that make sense, that question? Totally. Yeah. Totally. How can we be courageous? Yeah. Well, if you, if you wanted to, like where my attention went when you said what it is to be courageous... I think it, it's it's very simple. Mm. There's nothing more than honouring your own moral code. And I know in my life, in times where I've had a lot of stress, it's because I've 
I've gone against my own moral code and I've, I've trashed my own moral code, you know, taking shortcuts for those sorts of things. But mm. we all know, and, and living life in service and doing good for others helps you to strengthen your moral code. But at the end of the day, your moral code is an intuitive thing that you know in a moment whether something is the right thing to do or not the right thing to do. And I'm not going to say wrong because that brings up all sorts of connotations, but what's the right thing to do right here, right now? And if you're prepared to honour it, well, then it's going to be okay. And I I suppose I I have a little example as a parent. So when my son was about 14, he had a few mates over on a Friday night to watch videos and I bought them pizzas and that sort of thing. And I had a 100k bike ride the next morning at six o'clock. And so at about 9.30, I said, guys, I'm going to bed. Finish your pizzas, watch movies, just don't go to bed too late, but I'll leave it with you. There was six of them. At 12.30, I get a knock on my bedroom door and my son comes in and he says, and we were living down in Rosebud at the time, and he said, Dad, we want to go for a walk down the beach. It's 12.30 at night. And the beach is three k's away. And I said, why do you want to do that? And he said, oh, because we're wide awake and we just want to go. It's a beautiful night in the wild, so it's a summer's night. I said, and it was one of those crossover points. As a parent, I could go, no, you're not doing that. But he asked me and I thought, I feel like I need to let him go. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he said, we'll walk down the beach. That'll take us about half an hour. We'll walk along for about 15 minutes, we'll walk back, and then we'll come back home. So it'll be an hour and a half. And I said, OK, but what about Jesse? Jesse's very loud, and there's people sleeping out there. And he goes, Dad, we'll keep Jesse under control. And I said, all right, mate, go for it. Let me know when you get back. And, of course, off they went. I lay there, and I couldn't sleep. I sort of just dozed for a while at three minutes to two. My bedroom door opened, and a voice said, we're back, Dad. Shut the door. And I never, ever got asked for anything like that ever again. And I realised in contemplating it after is that what I'd done in that moment is said to him, I trust you. Now, later on, I was going overseas to work, and we'd moved up to the city, and we were living in an apartment in South Bank. And so he was 16, and I would go overseas for two weeks and leave him home on his own, and he had access to my bank accounts so he could get money when he needed it, and he never, ever breached my trust. And to this day, he's never breached my trust. So that was one of those moments where I just felt like everybody else in the world said, what are you doing, letting kids go out walking at 12.30 in the morning, <laughs> you know? But that thing inside me went, actually, you've got to let him go. Wow. So that's it's very subtle, you know, and, and it will tell you. And and there'll be times where your moral code says you've got to step into this situation and say something, but then your fears will kick in and say, yeah, well, my mates are not going to appreciate that or people are going to think I'm stupid or whatever, but none of that matters. Your moral code said, good to go, green light. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's where the courage is, I feel. Wow. Great answer to a great question. Is this something you think we should be consciously aware of most of the time where our moral code sits? Is it something we should know, like a bit like a mission statement, like when you start a business or you start a 
a, a journey or an endeavor and you've got like, you know, this is what I stand by and this is what this business is for and this is who we are, should it be something that we should all know within ourselves or is it just that little voice you're talking about that tells you, well, you didn't say right or wrong, but tells you kind of which way to go? Or is it something that we should all know who we stand for as people and where our values are? Well, firstly, we've got to get rid of that word should. Yeah? Mm. And also, moral code's never a little voice. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. And, and the more you exercise it and the more you tune into it, the better you get at it. And you will have noticed with all the work you did about getting into feel when you did the Avatar course, it's so much easier to access it and feel it. And those voices, that's just your mind, you know? And your mind is just your mind. It's not who you are. Um, A lot of people get confused with that. But I think that there can be a lot of justifications because you go into business and you'll deal with people who haven't got a moral code. Mm. They'll take shortcuts, they're, they're opportunistic. And you can see them as bad people, you can see them as cheats or swindlers, but you can also see them as teachers. Mm. Like, you learn, wow, so that's what it looks like when you, when you don't do the right thing. Yeah. And you don't have to play that game, but it's a daily thing. It's a bit like fitness. You can't train to get fit for 10Ks and once you get 10Ks, stop training. Yeah. Because soon you won't be fit for 10Ks. It's a, it's mm. a daily thing, but it's even getting out of bed in the morning. It's like William McRaven, that, that speech, the commencement ceremony speech, Admiral... Just making your William, bed. Making your bed. Yeah. It's like, get out of bed in the morning and make your bed. Don't walk away from it. Make it. Because you know, you've made an agreement with yourself, I'm going to make my bed when yeah. I get up. So make your bed when you get up. Mm. And you'll come up. your mind will come up with a thousand reasons why you can do it later. But you know. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to do it now. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, it's really simple things like that. It's just exercising it. And it'll never be perfect. You'll have times where you'll become a parent one day and you can say to yourself, I'm never going to yell at my kids. And one day you yell at your kids. And yeah. you think, <laughs> now it's not all over yeah. it's an opportunity to correct it's an yeah. opportunity to have a conversation with your kids and ask them what they felt and yeah. understand dad's a human being you know mm. it's my mind's just wandering back to it's, it's making me think back to what my mum and dad in certain moments when I was a kid like, I'm just thinking that story really was amazing mm. um, with his son Shane like that was just really I'm, I'm thinking of a moment like that with my dad where I might have Maybe as a kid, not even asked my dad. You know, for him to even have the awareness and the courage to knock on your door at 12.30, knowing that tomorrow you're getting up at four or five to ride 100 kilometres, and he knows how important that is to you, but he still went in there because he knew mm. it was the right thing to do. At 14, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. It's good. Yeah, you know? well, we had, a, we had a good connection, and, yeah. we, and we, we, we talked from the day he could talk we talked a lot yeah you know? mm-hmm. it actually reminds me a lot about my relationship with my dad mm-hmm. and probably similar with your old man you know I, I'm, I'm yeah i'm just thinking of back to what's made me grateful from both my parents and how they yeah. treated me and the respect they sh- showed me I, I, always they always let me make my own decisions when i made mistakes they they never it was always learning from mm. it. it was never they never came down hard on me i never no. i've never been punished I, I was never hit i was never never abused in any kind of way I was just always and sometimes the, the hardest thing was to look your parents in the eye and just admit okay I've made a mistake and mm-hmm. they ask well 
why? What did you do next time? What yeah. was you thinking like? And I think it's just made me very grateful for that, this mm. conversation. Can I share a little story quickly? Mm-hmm. And you probably know it. So it was my first New Year's Eve being 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where I betrayed my parents' trust. But it comes back to the reaction, right? And I was at home. I, I was at home for that weekend. Then I was meeting my mum, my dad and my younger sister at Port Ferry where we'd go every year on holiday. Dad, it was his favourite time of year. Gets to wind <coughs> down finally. So I'm at home. My older sister's at home as well. And I said to my older sister, Taylor, hey, what do you reckon if I have a couple of mates over? So she goes, yeah, that's all right. So me and a few mates come over and we're having a few beers or whatever. Obviously, we're all, you know, it's that last year of being 18. And one of the boys goes, hey, tomorrow night for New Year's, we should have a party. What do you reckon? Wait. And I was like, oh, should, like in my head, I knew it was the wrong thing to do. And I was like, yeah, I reckon, why not then? I, I said to Taylor, my sister, I said, do you want to have a party for New Year's and we'll have a few people over and invite them? She went, yeah, let's, let's do it. So, silly of us, you know, we invited all of our closest friends, probably, you know, 40 people, maybe even 50 people, all from school. I was trying to impress a girl and whatever. I've drank too much and I was so nervous. You know, I wasn't in the state to even enjoy the party at mm-hmm. 18. Obviously, I haven't really drank any alcohol <laughs> at all. Well, the next day, Dad obviously somehow found out because of the neighbours. My phone's ringing. It's my dad. Didn't answer it. Then he rings the home phone, but I obviously, what am I thinking? I answered the home phone and it's dad. And he didn't get mad on the phone. He just said, Wade, I know what's happened. I'll see you in a few days. All right. I went, shit. <laughs> I went, he's going to go nuts at me. This is, you know, a big deal. It's our family home and, um, you know, it's sacred and it's our space. Get to Port Ferry and... It was probably three or four days into the trip in Port Ferry. He still didn't bring it up. So I thought, I think I'm off the hook here. Well, I think on the fourth day, yes. Wait, Os, jump in the car, mate. We're going to go for a little drive. And in that moment, I knew Uh-oh. I'm like, oh, no. So we're driving, and I'm just waiting for him to just go nuts at me. And he just turned to me, and I think we pulled up at the beach, and he just went, mate, what were you thinking at that time? And I was like, oh, dad, I don't know. Like, and he just goes, mate, like, he didn't go mad at me. He didn't even raise his voice. And he just said, you're better than that, mate. He goes, you know better than that. We've raised you well enough to know. He said, I'm not mad at you, but just, you know, you've made a mistake and don't do it again. And I never made that mistake ever again, or I never betrayed his trust ever again. Mm. The word trust, I just kept thinking of that. I'm like, he didn't need to go mad at me. Some parents would have gone ballistic. I just think of how he handled that and similar to you in that situation, you know, just, you know, within yourself mm. how to handle that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. And we've got to cut people some slack because we all make mistakes and, yeah. you know, people make mistakes and we want to crucify them and bury them, you know, and it's so heartbreaking. You know, we, we see it all the time with elite athletes and, yeah. you know, People want to, and we've got a politician who's in that space at the moment, and you know everybody wants to point the finger and accuse them. And but at the end of the day, it's what they do with it. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use that situation to become a better person? 
and up, up the ante on your contribution to society. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's gone full circle. I, wasn't, I just sort of, this came to my mind. It's funny. The first thing I noticed about you when I met you this morning, John, this is weird, I just thought of it then, <laughs> is the first handshake, you shook Wade's hand first, and I just saw the intense eye contact. And to and me, strong handshake too. And then, yeah. then you came and did the same thing to me. I'm like, and all that went through my head then, I didn't even know what we we're going to talk about today. But I'm like, when people look you in the eyes, it's just like I've always been taught, you know, shake hands and look someone in the eyes, like it's a, it's a sign of trust mm. and respect and all. And I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it's just funny how in that moment I, I picked up on it, and now this conversation is it's like there's wow. just so much kind of purity about mm. what we've talked about and. I can see that through what you're talking about, you're not just talking out of your ass because it sounds good and this is what you've read from a book. This is, you live this. And I just want to yeah. acknowledge you for that. Oh, thank you, mate. And it's, um, but you know, along the way, it's, I was very, very lucky because I, I, I was always trying to seek higher learning and looking for mentors. And, and I just was very lucky one day I was in a meeting and there was a woman there and she had qualities about her that I was just so amazed by. Yeah. And I thought, I need to. I, I need that, what she's got, yeah. you know, and that's what led me to find out about avatar courses. Mm-hmm. And I went and did an avatar course, I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. And um, that was the start of me getting my life back on track, because mm-hmm. I was 45 and I'd done a lot and I'd been very successful in a lot of ways, but still I wasn't happy, I was stressed, my mind was busy, and I was able to learn how to navigate my way through that and get to the point where I actually really like who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I haven't got any secrets that I'm sitting on, so I can look you in the eye. Yeah. And you're not going to see anything that I don't want you to see, yeah. you know? And, and it's a lovely place to get to. Awesome. And the thing I realised is that you don't have to be 70 to get wise. Yeah. You can be very wise at 25, you know? Yeah. If you, if you want to take on that. And, and before we finish up, I think that one of the things that's really obvious in our world is that, you know, when I was growing up, most people were connected to some sort of religious practice in some way. Now, I'm not saying it was good or bad mm. or, you know, but that's all been abandoned because humanity's evolved beyond what religion could provide. But everybody still needs some form of spiritual practice. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and they have something to help them evolve and grow as a human being and become better because then the better you become at being you, the more you can give to yeah. humanity, you know? It's like, because nobody else can give what you can give, because mm. you're you, nobody else is you. Yeah. So that's pretty sweet. Great way to finish. It's yeah. an awesome way to finish. Mate, thanks for, thanks thanks for taking the time, Thank mate. You, awesome. Appreciate Thank you. It. Really good. Loved it.